Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Good morning, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Jeremy Dotson, uh, the Chief Information Security Officer at Nextlink Labs. Looking at uh, the quick bio that I have, I see that you start off um, you know, in some government agencies, uh, most specifically the NSA, moved to the Air Force where you spent like a stint of three years. Uh, from that point on, you know, I, I don't recognize all the names, so I'm not sure if these are like government entities or not. But at some point you were, uh, you know, you transitioned into uh, the, the private industry. The, the first name I do recognize is HP, obviously, you know, and you held a number of uh, positions as a consultant, solution architect, um, you know, lead senior cybersecurity specialist, uh, director of technical operations, all the way to your current role, which is chief information security officer at the Nextlink Labs. Very excited to be speaking with you today and would be more than happy uh, to, to give you the floor so you could properly introduce yourself. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So. Um... Love being here. Um, super excited about it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I had a my career stint at NSA was doing a lot of awesome things there. Threat analysis for presidential travel, that sort of thing. Got to uh, sit in the Oval Office quite a few times and do morning briefings, which is just a great experience. Um, all the way up to doing stuff with Department of Energy with some of the best teams teammates that I've ever worked with in my career. Um, and they're off doing great and amazing things. Um, and uh, like you said, I'm here at Nextlink Labs where we're doing some really awesome stuff with digital transformation. Uh, we got a lot of uh, experts in cybersecurity, software development, and advanced DevOps. And uh, just just loving life right now. Uh, loving being a CISO, even though it's very stressful. But, you know, um, what I learned when I was, especially at Department of Energy, is that what we do matters and how we protect ourselves, our families, our nation is uh, is very important. And, um, you know, CISO a lot of times is seen as the person uh, steering that ship, making sure it's happening not only for their organization, um, but in some cases, other people's organizations. So, yeah, very excited to be here. Yeah, same here. And thank you for that uh, introduction and context. Uh, I always like to start off my uh, podcast with a quick icebreaker. Uh, so I typically yeah. ask my interviewees uh, about their mar- about their marital status and their favorite drink. Okay. Something you're awesome. To- yeah, I'm uh, I'm very happily married. Um, my uh, my wife Leah. She uh, is is definitely my rock, and she also is the other half of my cyber. So if I'm on the technical side of cybersecurity, she is the um, the programmatic side, uh, very awesome technical writer. And we have very boring conversations to other families, very engaging conversations for me. So it's great. Uh, and then I have three kids. So I have a, uh, a 16 year old daughter, a 15 year old son, and then all the way down to a four year old daughter again. And it's, so it keeps life interesting, um, and really puts context again into what we're trying to, uh, 
uh, as security specialists trying to protect. Um, and then favorite drink. Um, let's see. So if I'm going to go two answers here, if I'm, well, I guess three, technically, if I'm alcoholic drink is going to have to be scotches or, and bourbons, my favorite. Um, and then if I'm going non-alcoholic, um, I think uh, Fentiman's uh, Rose Lemonade is just, I don't know why Rose Lemonade um, is just really good for me, <laughs> to me, I guess. But uh, it, some of my trips actually in Israel because of uh, the, the desserts over there with rose water, I think is what sort of got me into rose water. So yeah, yeah there's it, my answers. It, it rang a bell, I have to say. Uh, uh, I haven't tried that uh, since I moved here, but uh, okay, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, and you know, let's dive right in. I'm gonna ask you like a, a bunch of questions. Again, the, the purpose of this podcast is to put you on the spotlight and, and in the spotlight and to learn more about your journey. Uh, not specifically about your company. Uh, you know, I, I would want to visit some trends in the industry. I might, uh, you know, want to briefly, you know, maybe discuss a one-off topic uh, here about the, the current crisis that we have in the world right now and how it affects cyber. Uh, but we'll see when we get there. Uh, let's get going. If there's one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career, what would that be? Um, so for me, that's pretty easy. I... I spend a lot of the later part of my career helping people find a quicker path to the things that they find joy in. Um, I started this when I was young. First time I was touching a computer, I was eight years old. Um, took it apart, got in big trouble. Thankfully, got it back together. Um, wasn't as complicated as some of the systems are now, obviously. But uh, uh, what I I think is super important is being able to break down a topic and go from A to Z rather than jumping all over the place. So I never really could find good resources um, or mentors and finding a good resource for how to step through and or a logical way is, is probably the thing I wish I had, I had uh, known is that you can ask for help. You can ask for assistance. I was very hard when I was young for me to do. Um, I wanted to try and do everything myself and uh, just wasn't as successful as I could have been. Um, so I wish I would have known that that was okay, is that we need to be able to ask for help and we need to be able to uh, um, just find those resources, right? And so that's why one thing that's so important to me right now is providing those resources out. Yeah. yeah. And I, personally, I think that understanding comes with maturity. Because when you when you just get getting when you're yeah. getting started, you're too you know anxious. Your confidence is not as high as, as you want it to be, and you just you just feel you fear you know being perceived as dumb, I think, or not as a, yeah. not as professional, right? So, uh, yeah. but yeah, at some point you just understand that you know there's no way you can know everything that there is to know, and you just need to surround yourself with people that do have like better answers and just, you know, talk with them. Uh, okay, great. Um, what would you perceive as your biggest failure and what did you take out of it? Like what in terms of uh, learning experiences? Um, well, this kind of ties into the last one. I, I first, I usually, just because of the way I do learning and the way I think of a problem, I usually have a hard time with the word failure itself, just because it has such a finite feel to it. 
Um, and I think the only time we really experience failure is when we refuse to learn or push through that experience. Meaning that failure happens to me because we decided to give up, right? That to me is failure. Um, I'm one of those, I guess, <laughs> hard-headed individuals that refuse to give up on a topic if I don't know or if I'm having problems. And so to me, it's just part of the journey. Um, but having said that, um, again, kind of reaching back to when I was younger in my career, I had so many people and there's still, there are so many people smarter than me. Right. And the difference between now and then is I failed to recognize that they could help me. Um, I didn't see what they were trying to teach me, the nudges that they were, that they were giving me sometimes the foot stomps of you should focus on this, or you need to stop focusing on this, or you need to have a work-life balance, whatever it is. And I think that it's true for a lot of young people um, who get pulled in by the hubris of youth or feel that the way they prove themselves is to never ask for help. Um, so if I can go back in time, I'd shake myself and sort of tell myself to knock it off. But um, I think that it's very important um, that we, we recognize we need help and that you have the whole colloquial thing, you know, we, it takes a village. Well, it takes, you know, a think tank or whatever to start making really big ideas. Great. Um, and we've got to be okay to not try it for ourselves. And you should, in my opinion, learn everything you can from anybody, no matter how small, like, don't worry about how you can use the knowledge to further yourself or your career. Just take it in. Um, it's amazing how those things will stay with you and come to the surface when you need them the most. Um, yeah, taking knowledge from other areas and applying it to cybersecurity, uh, it's just surprising, right? My mm -hmm. woodworking stuff, for example, I can apply knowledge that I know from that into how I handle my day-to-day -day business. So. Interesting. Uh, you know, personally, I don't consider, I mean, I failed a lot. I'm still failing like all the time. Uh, and um, one, yeah. like one CISO I've interviewed uh, during the past year told me a phrase that, um, you know, I'm, I adopted failure is a great feedback loop. So this yeah. is how you, you know, this is how I perceive failure. I mean, you have to fail in order to learn that that's my. Yeah. So, so that's a great point. Um, one of the things, so I, I did a talk a number of years back on this topic of, of failure and, and I usually flip it. So I find that in all the students I've ever had and all the people I've ever talked to or helped that it wasn't failure that they were having the problem with, like, or any of us, we can do failure, right? And we can learn from that failure. It was remembering success. Um, and that is the message that I always try and put out. People will get a new topic and they'll be afraid to do it because it's so mystifying that everything has to be magic. This is really, really hard. But what they don't remember is that they also had a topic that was very, very hard years ago that they've done successfully. And they've had tons of success in learning how to do something that they felt was impossible in the beginning. And one thing that shifted in my mind early on, actually starting from NSA because of the pressure, was that I need to remember that no matter what task is put ahead of me, it's probably not as difficult as some of the difficult things I've done in the past. And I've made those success or I've been successful in that. So just know that it's all part of the process. And that's what I was getting at with the failure part is that it's like the feedback loop. It's a great way of looking at it as well. It's just part of the process. I need to remember that I can be successful at something when I apply myself and when I ask for help and, or I look for mentorship. 
Um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's the way I spin it is that, uh, failure comes easy, but remembering that you've been successful and taking that chance to learn something brand new is what people struggle at. It's the, oh, I'll do it in six months or I'll get it, whatever that instead of just starting it now and getting through those bumps. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and now that we've spent some time talking about failures and what you learn out of it, uh, what would you consider to be your biggest accomplishment in that? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the funny part is now that we've been on this topic so long, uh, it's bringing back all the memories of, of how I have been there for people when they want to learn. So like I always said, and, and, uh, that if someone were just to mentor me, you know, I'd, I'd be much better off when I was younger, but I never actually sought out that mentorship. Um, I expected it to come to me, which was a, a huge mistake. Right. Um, and so lately over the past probably decade, I have made it a point to find someone that is hungry to learn something, but just doesn't have the resource or the know how to start it. And I don't want to say spoon feed it, but give them that path that I was saying earlier that I never had, or that is really hard to find, um, to demystify, I guess, getting into cybersecurity and breaking things down saying, Hey, it's great that you want to do, you know, hardware hacking, but before you do that, you really should understand the foundations of this and really walk them through so that they can find their joy and what they're looking for. And I think that has ended up being the biggest accomplishment is what I've been able to give back to others. Um, I, I, I've always felt that hoarding knowledge or not sharing knowledge um, is a bad thing. And so I've been actively trying not to do that as opposed to waiting for someone to ask me for help because that's what was my problem. So if I could eliminate the problem I had as, as, uh, as a young cybersecurity guy um, in by by going to those individuals that I see that spark and helping them along, uh, that has been the most rewarding um, part of my experience. Like I can't take this knowledge with me. Right. So I've, I've got to get it out there to as many people as possible. And then they need to sort through it and see if it's good or see if it's bad or see if they want to use it in their career. Um, but yeah, I guess helping people along their journey has been my biggest accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And I think this ties, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it will tie into my next question. So Apart from the, you know, that seeking help and guidance advice, is there any other advice that you can give to someone wanting to, you know, just start in to pursue a career in cybersecurity? Um, yeah, immediately just develop a student mentality. Um, you have to have an appetite for learning. Um, it, this isn't the sort of field where there's an end. You it's not okay, learn this topic or get this certification or do these things. And once you've done it, you're done, you know how to do it. And there's nothing more for you to do. Um, there aren't a lot of fields out there like that. Um, but cybersecurity, especially it's constantly shifting things that it's like, it's like your laptop, right? Your laptop was amazing. Five years ago, a year later, it's dead. A year later, it was much worse. But, you know, phones come out every nine months. I don't know if that's necessary, but the point is, <laughs> is that things evolve so quickly that you have to stay on top of them. So if you're not someone that's interested in constantly consuming data, um, I'm not saying this isn't for you. I'm just saying, realize that there will be challenges, um, that 
you will be faced if you're not the other type of person that is constantly wanting to learn, constantly accepting knowledge um, in and uh, then sharing that knowledge. Um, you know, for example, I've been programming since I was a little kid, basic Pascal, um, but throw me in front of some, some, something right now and it's going to be vastly different. Now, I obviously code something, newer technologies, but the point is that just because I've been doing something for 30 years doesn't mean I'm an expert in it now, where you can't say that for a lot of other fields. If you've been doing something for 30 years, you're an expert. The way I did things as a kid, you know, prior to object-oriented programming, when object-oriented programming came out, if I was resting on my laurels of what I was doing before, it never would have worked. Um, you know, you have to, to change. So the way, um, you know, there was no talk of CICD. Well, there was, but not in my circles um, mm -hmm. when I was a kid. But, um, you know, all of that stuff becomes important and you constantly have to gain knowledge. Um, and then just be willing to take that time. And this is the part that I, I, I pause on because I, it's very, work-life balance is very important. I have never been until recently a practitioner of work-life balance. So I, I know uh, what I've been told when I talk to a lot of people that I help is, you know, I'll tell them, you got to take this in chunks. Don't sit and do it all the time. But then I'll sit there and stay up to three, four in the morning researching a topic or researching, you know, what's happening around the world or what threats are happening or how, you know, an attack occurred and what techniques and tactics they were using to get in and how I could have stopped it. So I don't do well with the remembering to sleep and eat part of my life. Um, but I would say this is a situation of do as I say, not as I do, because <laughs> work, I wish I would have done it better um, uh, coming into it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I would say be ready to do all of that, learn all those things, and then be ready to do it a hundred more times throughout your career and just yeah. continue to do it. You know, that student mentality that you've uh, been talking about uh, reminds me of another podcast episode, uh, I believe, with someone we both know, uh, Ian Amit, who told me that, yes. uh, you know, he considers himself to be a constant noob in the industry. So, yes. uh, and yeah, and I, I, I do, I mean, I do agree that there's always so much to learn and you can, I mean, if, if you meet anyone who's, uh, you know, the perceived self uh, expert in, in a field, I think this is where I get suspicious, if that makes sense. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, great. And let's talk a bit about, um, you know, traditionally CISOs have been a part of uh, the IT group, uh, at least, at, you know, at, across many organizations. Do you have any specific yes. feelings about that? Like, uh, what are the pros and cons? Uh, should CISOs, you know, report uh, to, to an IT-level organization leadership event, or should they be outside of it? Like, any thoughts around Outside. Okay. I have very strong opinions about this. Um, just did a webinar, actually, about ITOT convergence. Um, and even if your environment doesn't have an operational technology environment, this still applies. The idea becomes, if we are reporting or beholden to something that is IT based only, um, it's just wrong. We're not a CISO at that point. We're just in a silo for IT. Um, cybersecurity is no, ha never has been in my opinion, especially with where I started my career, but, um, but it is no longer just 
either on the wire or whatever. Cybersecurity is HR. Cybersecurity is training. Cybersecurity is physical security. Cybersecurity is all of it. Now, I, there's a lot of arguments about this. You'll see that you know you have infrastructure, information assurance, which is what I where I was when I was NSA, and then that all got changed to where IT is a subset of of these systems. Cybersecurity is over here, and that's a subset. All of that aside, no matter what you want to call it, security in general is everything that we touch, see, all of it. And so by siloing us in a specific area or calling it IT, you run into a lot of problems. Some of the, one of the uh, companies we're working with right now um, is an amazing robotics company and they have an amazing IT staff and they have an amazing, amazing engineering staff. Just the way they are at how, what they do and how they build robots and the software behind that is awesome. The problem is that communication chain between there's IT that has all these specific requirements down that's exactly what they should be asking for in the OT environment. With the OT environment, these engineers, they don't know what any of that means. They're concerned with safety. They don't want robots running over people. Um, and so when you tell them that they should be mostly concerned with authentication into that robot, but that doesn't really apply, it's a problem. So a CISO that doesn't understand all the different problem sets in all the different areas or verticals within an organization is a problem. Um, so... I've been very, very lucky to have seen, as you were saying, there was a myriad of different areas I've been in. And I did that. That was the one bit of advice that I, I took early on, which was don't learn a single part of your career, learn as much of your career as possible. So don't just do, you know, security stuff, do solutions architecture. So build data centers, work on, 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 you know, tearing down hardware, go through all the, throughout the entire OSI layer, understand the Purdue model and understand from top to bottom and down. And so one of the things that's benefited from that is I can have conversations with HR and find things that are meaningful to them to make them understand what their role in cybersecurity is. I can talk to, you know, a guy in a shed and have him understand what his role is in cybersecurity. Well, I'm just, you know, keeping track of this door. I get it, but if an attacker comes in and I have a USB device and I get into that data center that that door is supposed to be blocking, you are playing a more important role than you think than just looking for trespassers, right? Um, and so having those conversations um, is important. And so by taking a CISO that says, you only need to worry about this, I just think you're doing a disservice. In my opinion, give the CISO um, uh, access to whomever makes sense, CEO or whatever, and then um, give them a team that if they don't have a, a good grasp of understanding, this is the whole thing, it takes, it takes a village, Get find the people that are security champion, champions throughout the organization, throughout HR, through whatever, whatever categories it is that takes information, reports it into the CISO, then the CISO gives that vision as to how the adjustment should be happening throughout all of those verticals. Um, I'm very passionate about it. Sorry, I kind of got, got it out of control there, but yeah, that's, that's my answer is that it's, you definitely shouldn't be siloed in IT and it never should be passed off as like an IT problem. So. No, I appreciate that. Um, and apart from, uh, you know, surrounding yourself uh, with, um, you know, uh, good advisors, mentors and whatnot, what are the best resources that you find helpful? Um, so this is, is a mix. So, the obligatory people, like you said, um, I think 
everything that I do at least is trust and verify. So trust, but verify. Um, so I have a number of feeds that I, I look at. I have a number of groups that I go to that have either worked in the past. Like I said, the group of people I worked with at uh, department of energy, some of the brightest minds I've ever worked with. Um, it would be dumb for me not to reach out and if something's happening and talk to them about the stuff that their specialties in. Right. So yes, the people, but then figuring out where that information lies or who's talking about it and content from different perspectives. Like, like we said earlier, you know, I've done this a lot, but I never consider myself an expert. I just consider myself someone that is able to weed through stuff that I know doesn't lead to anything good. Um, so if advice is giving about, you know, you should make your password super complicated with all the special characters and really, really long, I just shake my head, right? Like, because I've sat and cracked passwords that have all those things and those things don't help and the humans don't know how to do it. So they end up sharing that password through all their other accounts, you know, so you go out there and I'm, I've gotten really good at finding the people that talk about the stuff that make content, write about content, write books, do whatever that do a great job. Um, some of my favorite people to talk to and, or look at, uh, you know, Robert from Dragos does a lot of great stuff in ICS. Uh, Dave Kennedy does a lot of really great stuff um, everywhere else. So he's just amazing. Um, but the content that their teams put out is, is amazing, right? They, they, they know how to take information in, focus it down and put it into a consumable way that is meaningful to me. Um, they're not worried about buzzwords. They're not worried about any of that stuff. They just want you to have the knowledge. Um, and that's what's important to me. So yeah, I guess that's the best answer is just, um, the resources I find are the, are feeds that I just, I'm able to weed out. And actually one of the things that I might do after this now is start, uh, promoting those feeds a lot more. So that's one thing I, I don't normally do is all the stuff that I do when I wake up, all the things I do um, to what I read, what I research, the paths I take, uh, how deep I'll go in web to find different information. Um, I'll probably start making that available then. So thank you, actually. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> um, is there any one common myth about the profession or cybersecurity field that you wanted to debunk? Um, yeah, I mean, I've kind of already said it a little bit, but it's that it's that uh, that technology is some mythical, magical thing, right? Um, anything that we are unfamiliar with, I have found people just they 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 either think it's so hard and they can't do it. I don't, I don't even know. So, like on the development side, you know, people often look at applications created from nothing and think that. That's just too highly technical. You know, special people need to do that. Um, or I could never do that. But just like any subject, when you break it down into its basic components, you see that not only is it not magic, it's quite manageable. And I don't want to say anyone can do it. I was reminded actually by my mother um, that not everybody, because she's like, I couldn't do it. You know, it's not just the way I think. And I guess that's true. I guess if you're drawn to technology, if you already think that you like technology, that in my opinion, those people can do anything that they want in technology if they just apply themselves. So a similar thing happens with cybersecurity. You know, people see cybersecurity professionals 
as these deep technical experts, like we were talking about, right? But in truth, we're always learning. I love that you said, you know, he, you know, I constantly feel like a noob and you should, there's always more that you can learn. So no one in cybersecurity is ever a true expert. Anyone can learn. All you have to do is pick that thing and get started. Um, and so the idea that it's too late for you to get started, or there aren't enough people out there that were willing to help me, um, those, those are myths. And, you know, if you, I guess I'll say it, any listener out there that's, that wants help in, in getting started or whatever, reach out to me on LinkedIn and we'll figure something out. But, uh, the point is, is that it's this, the, what I do is not magic. What any of us do is not magic. And, uh, we need to be able to start making that a reality for other people. So, mm-hmm. and you know, as long as we're on the topic of, uh, people be able to being able to reach out to you. So LinkedIn is obviously the best uh, way to do that. Yeah. Um, I find lately, which is funny because two years ago you couldn't find me on social or really anything else, but I started thinking about what I've been saying more, right? Like I, I, I started dog fooding myself. Like I want to be more accessible. Um, early in my career, it was all about, I don't, you know, it was even hard for me to, to tell people that I worked at NSA years ago. Um, and then I, I remember having a conversation with some people that worked with me and they're like, you know, it's fine. Talk about stuff, get your message out there and start helping people and show yourself as a resource. And I realized I wasn't doing that. Um, so I, I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to be a little bit better about getting my knowledge out there, sharing how and what I do. Um, not that I think it's the way to do it, but that it's a way to do it. And that people then are armed with more information that they had, um, afterwards. Right. But yeah, so LinkedIn has been the way, um, I tried things like clubhouse and all these other stuff. And I just LinkedIn, I've really liked actually. Um, so yeah, that's probably the best way. Yeah. I think that's the best way. I tend to agree with you. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, a lot as well. Uh, but this brings me to another question that typically I ask, uh, you know, at the end, at the tail end of the podcast, but as long as we're on the subject, how do you then, uh, I mean, you invite people to reach out to you because you want to help them, right? But how do you differentiate? And like, like, how do you make sure that you don't invite uh, intrus- intrusive vendors or just, you know, sales speeches uh, like all day, every day? Because I know that's an issue. It's- yeah, it's funny you say that um, because my mind was thinking you'd go more towards how do I make sure I'm not inviting an attacker? And this is why. I'm gonna, I'll answer your question, but I, I, I actually had someone reach out to me. We're, we were looking to hire some developers and I got an email that was like, hey, I, I have some great candidates. I'd love to send them your way. And I was like, awesome. And they ended up sending like resumes to my email and they reached out on, I'm sorry, they reached out on LinkedIn and they ended up sending resumes to my email. And, um, I refused to open them without putting it into a sandbox VM. Cause I'm like, I'm not clicking on this PDF. Are they crazy? <laughs> um, and so that's usually what I'm worried about is people targeting, but from the standpoint of the noise, right? How do I sift through the noise? Uh, it's, it's insane. It really is. Um, and I, I take advice from um, a good friend of mine and actually works with me as well, uh, Jake Warpy. He's, uh, he's, anytime I build a team, he's the, the, so- the social engineer on the team. And when dealing with people, I guess I shouldn't say dealing, when working with people, uh, he lets me know, just, just be honest, right? Um, just don't ignore, don't do whatever, just let them know. Hey, thanks. 
not interested, not looking. Um, and uh, that's that for what's happening. But what I've done is also take it a little step further. And because I know what it's like um, to want to reach out and engage uh, if it's, you know, a real vendor or, and stuff like that, because again, I'm always thinking that it's an attack, but if it's a real vendor, um, just say your piece and I'll let you know what I do is I create a document that lets me know this is the topic areas. So if it's hiring professionals or looking to sell tools or whatever, I will say, this is the tool. Here are the people that are selling me tools that are under this topic. And then if that comes up in my conversation with other people, um, I will usually research those companies because again, that's what it's all about, right? Learning stuff. So I'll usually research those companies, research those tools, see who's built them, understand what's working, what's not working. If they have trials, I'll usually mess around with them in sandboxes as I get time. And then they become part of my conversation with my clients or part of my conversation with people when I'm doing stuff. So for example, I had um, Cyber Crucible reach out and uh, their ransomware protection ended up being one of the guy, the guy, the CEO was at NSA in a group that I knew. And the tool's amazing. And I don't use it. I don't, it's not in my area, but it's one of those things where I've gone through it and it's done. It's, it's just awesome. Uh, I've done a lot of trainings uh, and uh, Nick reached out to me from curricula and I ended up researching his tool. And, you know, I'm used to like a no before sort of thing, but curricula just works like the way it pulls in information and we don't do anything with them. Again, I don't use it, but I, I'm able, I, th that exposure came through LinkedIn. I did a quick reply and said, Hey, we're not looking for this right now, but thank you. I'll keep you in mind if it ever happens. Um, and then just, and the people that I have found took that to heart and listened and didn't continue to bother their products are usually the ones that are the best because they just believe in their product. Um, the ones that are hounding and hounding, I, they end up making my no list when it comes to the research I've done, not because of them hounding me, but because when I research their product, I understand why they have to sell so hard because it just seems like what they're doing, at least I can't find a niche for it, or there's something out there that's better, or there's something, you know, so it's, it's, it's a struggle. And I, I try and do what I can to sift through it. And, um, I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but now you got me thinking maybe I'll start going like sifting through and making a list of here's the research I found. Here's what I found is great and put it out there, but that's also not the greatest. Maybe I'll just do the good ones. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, two main, two, I mean, two more topics, basically. One okay, is no about the, the role of the CISO, where is it going? And I know you, I mean, I, I know we've talked a bit about, uh, you know, the role of the CISO as it is today. I mean, mostly being a business role, not, not an IT role. In terms of, uh, you know, um, where is the, the role of the CISO going, in your opinion? Um, it's going nowhere. <laughs> um, no, the CISO role is more important than ever. Like I was saying, you know, we're, we're seeing a supply and demand issue. Um, you know, people say that we have this problem in cybersecurity where we're not, we don't have enough cybersecurity, um, specialists and I don't agree. I just think we're not willing to mentor the way we should. Um, I, some of the greatest memes come up from, from this topic where it's all like, you know, it takes a million years to crack a password. And that's also the required number of years to become a junior cybersecurity specialist. Um, and like, it's, it's, it's true. Like we have these ridiculous job requirements for junior folks 
And, um, you know, I, I was in a podcast uh, about a month ago and I made a comment about if I had a, an individual come up to me with a bunch of certs, not that I hate certs, certs are awesome, but they have a place and someone that had, you know, can juggle seven balls. Um, who would I hire? And I made the, the comment that I would hire that person that could juggle seven balls. Um, you know, Jason Garfield, president of world juggling federation. Um, I know how much that guy works at that skill. And it is probably way more than I've worked on anything in my entire life. And so someone that gets that good at something, I know that, like I said earlier, I remember that they were, if they remember success, that they can be successful in any topic they pick. So if they're like, I don't know anything about cybersecurity, I want to learn, they're going to have the chops to get it done. Um, and so that all comes back to the top, right? So we have, if we're having that problem with junior folks, we're having an even bigger problem with yeah. people that would be, yeah. I guess, at my level, right? Because we're not, our funnel into this industry is not insanely large. And so it's hard to go to the top, I guess. And um, CISOs are getting snapped up, you know, as companies are feeling the pressure to improve their cybersecurity, but not every organization can meet the financial obligation of one. Um, and I think that's the other thing. So, like I said, if, if I'm saying that you can't just hire someone that knows this data set, um, you, they have to be, be able to not only know the technical side, but the business side, they need to be able to communicate to the board. They need to be able to communicate to CEOs. They need to be able to communicate all the way down and have an understanding of what it was like to sit at that computer and be afraid to report that there was a threat and not, maybe not even know and make that okay. And then make an, an avenue that that threat can bubble up so that you're giving the board the correct information. All of that becomes super complicated. And um, it's the companies that have taken that seriously and empowered their CISOs um, that are doing the best. But, um, you know, I think that's why the VCSO, so the virtual CISO has become so popular because mm -hmm. you can, you can get access to someone like me, um, or those much smarter than me and doing the same thing, right? All of us, you have access to all of us, um, in a fractional way, in a way that maybe is product-based or, Hey, get me started on a cybersecurity program, you know, build out what it should look like. Um, have those tough conversations with my team or have the tough conversations with the board, whatever the case may be, so that we can start doing our part to protect not only our organization, but our people in the organization. And therefore, any nation you're part of, no matter what nation you're in, if you're protecting that infrastructure, you're protecting the nation. So um, where is it going? It's just getting more complicated. And, and I think as a CISO, then you need a you know, it's going to be interesting to see how a team of people get built under the CISO. And I think that's where it's going to go is it's going to stop being like, I don't report to someone in, in different roles that I played. I never had to report to like a CTO or CIO or whatever. It was direct conversation with either board or CEO. Um, and I think that's important, but um, a team underneath a CISO that can really touch on those key points and find security champions throughout the organization is going to be the way that it, there's some people that already do that. And I think it's the way of the future. In fact, um, uh, little anecdotal story. So I went over to Israel a few years ago 
and was working in their or was meeting with the energy sector. And so, you know, um, the Mossad, NSA, you know, we have a, a, an interesting relationship um, as, as we did, uh, as I grew up through things. And so, you know, we had conversations around that and we had conversations about what we're doing as in the United States and how we're sort of focusing things. And then in my opinion, what Israel is doing much, much better. And what that is, um, you know, I'd go into a facility and see a very small security team. And I went into a facility there and they had a very small security team here and then distributed hundreds of security specialists throughout the entire organization. Every single um, vertical, no matter how small, if it was a small team of five, one person was added to that team and it was just their job to be a security champion. Conversate with that team, let them know what's happening and then report up to what would be the CISO. And it was amazing to watch. It was amazing to see the results of it. It was amazing to have conversations with people sitting um, that should have absolutely, in my opinion, usually have no understanding of cybersecurity and be able to speak to cybersecurity and their role in it because one of their peers was constantly teaching them. That was their only role was to teach them and get, make them aware, hey, you know, you shouldn't put that password on a post-it note under your keyboard, right? Like that's not a good idea. Like obviously that's a ton in cheek, but those were the conversations. They were having deep conversations with the rest of their peers. And I just thought that was amazing. So that's where we need to go. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Appreciate the context and uh, your answer. Let me pause for a minute. Okay. Um, so we've spoken about the, the Caesar role and, and where is it going? Or it's going. Um, we've spoken about, you know, the CISO role as part of the IT. Uh, in your opinion, I mean, we only have uh, time for like one more question here. I see. So, in your opinion, what will we see in the cybersecurity space next? Um. So we are very quickly moving toward a more connected world, right? Like I talked about the Purdue model getting squished from IT and OT. Um, so we're seeing industry for for advancing. Uh, which includes IT integration with OT devices. And we're seeing cybersecurity tools starting to integrate machine learning, which I think is amazing. Um, I think we'll see more sophisticated defense and attack tools, um, both as those integrations sort of develop, right? So as things happen, it's just going to become more advanced. And we're also seeing collaboration among cyber criminals only in like... <laughs> Yeah, it, the collaboration is insane. Like the fact that they're building out like these cyber gains or cartels uh, where they're like aligning their skills like we would want to do on a defender side, it's just going to cause problem, right? Um, and so if they're organizing more, we need to organize more. Um, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, um, the people that are sophisticated in their and mature in their cybersecurity programs, look at NVIDIA, for example. NVIDIA did an offensive attack back, whereas most companies wouldn't be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it was the right thing to do or not, not saying anything about that. But the point is, is that, um, you know, you look at the majority of the organizations, let's just look at here in the United States, and they're not as mature as they need to be to handle incoming attacks. Um, so what's next is the understanding that you have to build a foundation of cybersecurity. You have to 
have a program in place, the planning, the documentation, the programmatic side is just as important as the technical side. You need to make it repeatable. You need to make empower your people to understand it, but not have it, you know, destroy what they're doing day to day. So what's next is that we need to start doing things the right way. And it shouldn't take a world event to force us to do that. But if it does have to be that way, I mean, that's where I guess my career was born was out of 9-11. And, you know, we learned a lot of lessons then. Um, maybe this is the stuff that we need to learn the lessons now that if you're overly worried, not overly worried, but if, if, if this is something that keeps you up at night because you know you haven't done anything to prepare for an attack, um, then this is where it's time to look for those people that can help you. So, mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, let's see. Okay, we're at the tail end of this uh, podcast. I see that we're out of time. I, I also want to be respectful of, respectful of your time. Um, so best way to reach out to you is via LinkedIn, Jeremy Dotson. Um, and, you know, I think what's left for me is just to thank you for your time. I know your calendar is busy, probably very packed nowadays. Um, I, I, I did enjoy our conversation, hoping to meet with you at some point in the near future. Now that travel is back, uh, know, you know, I love it. yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's back. It's been back in Texas for a while now, but uh, it's coming to, you know, it's trickling down to the rest of the country right now. Um, and, and thank you again for taking the time and uh, giving me some thoughtful answers. And I'm, I'm sure that our listeners would, uh, you know, would learn a lot from your answers. And yeah, enjoyed having this conversation with you, Jeremy. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, thank you for this amazing questions. And it was awesome. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting.